Section 10 of The World's Famous Orations, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Famous Orations, Volume 3. John Milton, Plea for the Liberty of Unlicensed Printing, Part 1. Footnote. The date of this, the most celebrated of Milton's prose works, is November 24, 1644. In disregard of an ordinance of Parliament of the previous year, Milton in July had published without license his pamphlet concerning divorce. For this he had been attacked, and a search had been made for the printers. In consequence of this, he wrote the Areopagitica, which he described as a speech for the liberty of unlicensed printing to the Parliament of England. Abridged. Born in 1608, died in 1674, visited Italy in 1638, began his political writings in 1640, Latin secretary to the Commonwealth in 1649, became totally blind in 1652, spared at the Restoration under the Indemnity Act, published Paradise Lost in 1667. 1644 They who to states and governors of the commonwealth direct their speech, high court of parliament, or, wanting such access in a private condition, write that which they foresee may advance the public good. I suppose them, as at the beginning, of no mean endeavor, not a little altered and moved inwardly in their minds, some with doubt of what will be the success, others with fear of what will be the censure, some with hope, others with confidence of what they have to speak. And me, perhaps, each of these dispositions, as the subject was whereon I entered, may have at other times variously affected, and likely might, in these foremost expressions, now also disclose which of them swayed most, but that the very attempt of this address thus made, and the thought of whom it hath recourse to, hath got the power within me to a passion far more welcome than incidental to a preface which though I stay not to confess ere any task, I shall be blameless if it be no other than the joy and gratulation which it brings to all who wish and promote their country's liberty, whereof this whole discourse proposed will be a certain testimony, if not a trophy. For this is not the liberty which we can hope, that no grievance ever should arise in the commonwealth, that let no man in this world expect. But when complaints are freely heard, deeply considered, and speedily reformed, then is the utmost bond of civil liberty attained that wise men look for. To which, if I now manifest by the very sound of this which I shall utter, that we are already in the good part arrived, and yet from such a steep disadvantage of tyranny and superstition grounded in our principles, as was beyond the manhood of a Roman recovery, it will be attributed first, as is most due, to the strong assistance of God our Deliverer, next to your faithful guidance and undaunted wisdom, lords and commons of England. Neither is it in God's esteem the diminution of his glory, when honorable things are spoken of good men and worthy magistrates. Which if I now first should begin to do after so fair a progress of your laudable deeds, and such a long obligement upon the whole realm to your indefatigable virtues, I may be justly reckoned among the tardiest and the unwillingness of them that praise ye. Nevertheless, there being three principal things without which all praising is but courtship and flattery, first, when that only is praised which is solidly worth praise, 
Next, when greatest likelihoods are brought that such things are truly and really in those persons to whom they are ascribed. The other, when he who praises, by showing that such his actual persuasion is of whom he writes, can demonstrate that he flatters not. The former two of these I have heretofore endeavoured, rescuing the employment from him who went about to impair your merits with a trivial and malignant encomium, the latter is belonging chiefly to mine own acquittal, that whom I so extolled I did not flatter hath been reserved opportunely to this occasion. For he who freely magnifies what hath been nobly done, and fears not to declare as freely what might be done better, gives ye the best covenant of his fidelity, and that his loyalest affection and his hope waits on your proceedings. His highest praise is not flattery, and his plainest advice is a kind of praising. For though I should affirm and hold by argument that it would fare better with truth, with learning, and the commonwealth, if one of your published orders which I should name were called in, yet at the same time it could not but much redound to the luster of your mild and equal government, when as private persons are hereby animated to think ye better pleased with public advice, than other statists have been delighted heretofore with public flattery. And men will then see what difference there is between the magnanimity of a triennial parliament and that jealous haughtiness of prelates and cabin counsellors that usurped of late, whenas they shall observe ye in the midst of your victories and successes more gently brooking written exceptions against a voted order than other courts, which had produced nothing worth memory but the weak ostentation of wealth, would have endured the least signified dislike at any sudden proclamation. If I should thus far presume upon the meek demeanour of your civil and gentle greatness, lords and commons, as what your published order hath directly said, that to gainsay, I might defend myself with ease if any should accuse me of being new or insolent. Did they but know how much better I find ye esteem it to imitate the old and elegant humanity of Greece than the barbaric pride of a Hunnish and Norwegian stateliness? And out of those ages, to whose polite wisdom and letters we owe that we are not yet Goths and Jutlanders, I could name him who from his private house wrote that discourse to the Parliament of Athens that persuades them to change the form of democracy which was then established. Footnote. Isocrates. The work referred to is the one from which Milton obtained his own title, the Logos Areopagiticus. In footnote. Such honor was done in those days to men who professed the study of wisdom and eloquence, not only in their own country, but in other lands, that cities and seigneuries heard them gladly and with great respect if they had aught in public to admonish the state. Thus did Dion Prusaeus, a stranger and a private orator, counsel the Rhodians against a former edict, and I abound with other like examples which to set here would be superfluous. I know not what should withhold me from presenting ye with a fit instance wherein to show both the love of truth which ye eminently profess, and that uprightness of your judgment which is not wont to be partial to yourselves, by judging over again that order which you have ordained to regulate printing that no books, pamphlets, or paper shall be henceforth printed unless the same be first approved and licensed by such, or at least one of such as shall be thereto appointed. For that part which preserves justly every man's copy to himself, or provides for the poor I touch not, only to wish that they be not made pretenses to abuse and persecute honest and painful men, who offend not in either of these particulars but that other clause of licensing books which we thought had died when his brother quadragesimal and matrimonial when the prelates expired i shall now attend with such a homily as shall lay before ye first the inventors of it to be those whom ye will be loath to own next 
what is to be thought in general of reading whatever sort the books be and that this order avails nothing to the suppressing of scandalous seditious and libelous books which were mainly intended to be suppressed last that it will be primely to the discouragement of all learning and the stop of truth not only by disexercising and blunting our abilities in what we know already but by hindering and cropping the discovery that might be yet further made both in religious and civil wisdom i deny not but that it is of greatest concernment in the church and commonwealth to have a vigilant eye how books demean themselves as well as men and thereafter to confine imprison and do sharpest justice to them as malefactors for books are not absolutely dead things but do contain a potency of life in them to be as active as that soul whose progeny they are nay they do preserve as in a vial the purest efficacy and extraction of that living intellect that bred them i know they are as lively and as vigorously productive as those fabulous dragon's teeth and being sewn up and down may chance to spring up armed men and yet on the other hand unless wariness be used as good almost kills a man as kill a good book who kills a man kills a reasonable creature god's image but he who destroys a good book kills reason itself kills the image of god as it were in the eye many a man lives a burden to the earth but a good book is the precious life-blood of a master spirit embalmed and treasured up on a purpose to a life beyond life tis true no age can restore a life whereof perhaps there is no great loss and revolutions of ages do not oft recover the loss of a rejected truth for the want of which whole nations fare the worse we should be wary therefore what persecution we raise against the living labors of public men how we spill that seasoned life of man preserved and stored up in books since we see a kind of homicide may be thus committed sometimes a martyrdom and if it extend to the whole impression a kind of massacre whereof the execution ends not in the slaying of an elemental life but strikes at that ethereal and fifth essence the breath of reason itself slays an immortality rather than a life but lest i should be condemned of introducing license while i oppose licensing i refuse not the pains to be so much historical as will serve to show what hath been done by ancient and famous commonwealths against this disorder till the very time that this project of licensing crept out of the inquisition was catched up by our prelates and hath caught some of our presbyters we have it not that can be heard of from any ancient state or polity or church nor by any statute left us by our ancestors elder or later nor from the modern custom of any reformed city or church abroad but from the most anti-christian council and the most tyrannous inquisition that ever inquired till then books were ever as freely admitted into the world as any other birth the issue of the brain was no more stifled than the issue of the womb no envious juno sat cross-legged over the nativity of any man's intellectual offspring but if it proved a monster who denies but that it was justly burnt or sunk into the sea but that a book in worse condition than a peccant soul should be to stand before a jury ere it be born to the world and undergo yet in darkness the judgment of radamanth and his colleagues ere it can pass the ferry backward into light was never heard before till that mysterious iniquity provoked and troubled at the first entrance of reformation sought out new limbos and new hells wherein they might include our books also within the number of their damned and this was the rare morsel so officiously snatched up and so ill-favouredly imitated by our inquisitoriant bishops and the attendant minorities their chaplains that ye like not now these most certain authors of this licensing order and that all sinister intention was far distant from your thoughts when ye were importuned the passing it 
all men who know the integrity of your actions and how ye honor truth will clear ye readily but some will say what though the inventors were bad the thing for all that may be good it may be so yet if that thing be no such deep invention but obvious and easy for any man to light on and yet best and wisest commonwealths through all ages and occasions have forbore to use it and falsest seducers and oppressors of men were the first who took it up and to no other purpose but to obstruct and hinder the first approach of reformation i am of those who believe it will be a hardier alchemy than lulius ever knew to sublimate any good use out of such an invention footnote raymond's lule the famous spanish alchemist who became a missionary to the mohammedans in asia and africa End footnote. yet this only is what i request to gain from this reason that it may be held a dangerous and a suspicious fruit as certainly it deserves for the tree that bore it until i can dissect one by one the properties that it has books are as meats and viands are some of good some of evil substance and yet god in that unapocryphal vision said without exception rise peter kill and eat leaving the choice to each man's discretion wholesome meats to a vitiated stomach differ little or nothing from unwholesome and best books to a naughty mind are not unappliable to occasions of evil bad meats will scarce breed good nourishment in the healthiest concoction but herein the difference is of bad books that they do to a discreet and judicious reader serve in many respects to discover to confute to forewarn and to illustrate whereof what better witness can ye expect i should produce than one of your own now sitting in parliament the chief of learned men reputed in this land mr selden whose volume of natural and national laws proves not only by great authorities and brought together but by exquisite reasons and theorems almost mathematically demonstrative that all opinions yea errors known read and collected are of main service and assistance toward the speedy attainment of what is truest footnote de jure naturae etc john selden is best remembered now for his table talk which was published thirty-five years after his death his other works are twenty-six in number End footnote. i conceive therefore that when god did enlarge the universal diet of man's body saving ever the rules of temperance he then also as before left arbitrary the dieting and repasting of our minds as wherein every mature man might have to exercise his own leading capacity how great a virtue is temperance how much of moment through the whole life of man yet god commits the managing so great a trust without particular law or prescription wholly to the demeanour of every grown man and therefore when he himself tabled the jews from heaven that omer which was every man's daily portion of manna is computed to have been more than might have well sufficed for the hardiest feeder thrice as many meals for those actions which enter into a man rather than issue out of him and therefore defile not god uses not to captivate under a perpetual childhood of prescription but trusts him with the gift of reason to be his own chooser there were but little work left for preaching if law and compulsion should grow so fast upon those things which heretofore were governed only by exhortation solomon informs us that much reading is a weariness to the flesh but neither he nor other inspired author tells us that such or such reading is unlawful yet certainly had god thought good to limit us herein it had been much more expedient to have told us what was unlawful than what was wearisome good and evil we know in the field of this world grew up together almost inseparably and the knowledge of good is so involved and interwoven with the knowledge of evil 
and in so many cunning resemblances hardly to be discerned, that those confused seeds which were imposed upon Psyche as an incessant labor to call out and sort asunder, were not more intermixed. It was from out the rind of one apple tasted that the knowledge of good and evil, as two twins cleaving together, leaped forth into the world. And perhaps this is that doom which Adam fell into of knowing good and evil, that is to say, of knowing good by evil. As therefore the state of man now is, what wisdom can there be to choose, what continence to forbear without the knowledge of evil? He that can apprehend and consider vice with all her baits and seeming pleasures, and yet abstain, and yet distinguish and yet prefer that which is truly better, he is the true wayfaring Christian. I cannot praise a fugitive and cloistered virtue, unexercised and unbreathed, that never sallies out and sees her adversary, but slinks out of the race where that immortal garland is to be run for, not without dust and heat. Assuredly we bring not innocence into the world, we bring impurity much rather. That which purifies us is trial, and trial is by what is contrary. That virtue, therefore, which is but a youngling in the contemplation of evil, and knows not the utmost that vice promises to her followers, and rejects it, is but a blank virtue, not a pure. Her whiteness is but an excremental whiteness. Which was the reason why our sage and serious poet Spencer, whom I dare be known to think a better teacher than Scotus or Aquinas, describing true temperance under the person of Guion, brings him in with him Palmer through the cave of Memon, and the bower of earthly bliss, that he might see, and know, and yet abstain. Since therefore the knowledge and survey of vice is in this world so necessary to the constituting of human virtue, and the scanning of error to the confirmation of truth, how can we more safely and with less danger scout into all the regions of sin and falsity than by reading all manner of tractates, and hearing all manner of reason? And this is the benefit which may be had of books promiscuously read. Seeing therefore that those books and those in great abundance which are likeliest to taint both life and doctrine cannot be suppressed without the fall of learning, and of all ability and disputation, and that these books of either sort are most and soonest catching to the learned, from whom to the common people whatever is heretical or dissolute, may quickly be conveyed, and that evil manners are as perfectly learnt without books a thousand other ways which cannot be stopped, an evil doctrine not with books can propagate except a teacher guide, which he might also do without writing. And so beyond prohibiting I am not enabled to unfold how this caudalous enterprise of licensing can be exempted from the number of vain and impossible attempts. And he who were pleasantly disposed could not well avoid to liken it to the exploit of that gallant man who thought to pound up the crows by shutting his park gate. Besides another inconvenience, if learned men be the first receivers out of books and dispreaders of both vice and error, how shall the licensers themselves be confided in? Unless we can confer upon them, or they assume to themselves above all others in the land the grace of infallibility and uncorruptedness. And again, if it be true that a wise man like a good refiner can gather gold out of the drossiest volume, and that a fool will be a fool with the best book, yea, or without book, there is no reason that we should deprive a wise man of any advantage to his wisdom while we seek to restrain from a fool that which being restrained will be no hindrance to his folly. For if there should be so much exactness always used to keep that from him which is unfit for his reading, we should, in the judgment of Aristotle, not only, but of Solomon and of our Saviour, not vouchsafe him good precepts, and by consequence not willingly admit him to good books as being certain that a wise man will make better use of an idle pamphlet, than a fool will do of sacred scripture. 
"'Tis next alleged we must not expose ourselves to temptations without necessity, and next to that not employ our time in vain things. To both these objections one answer will serve. Out of the grounds already laid that to all men such books are not temptations nor vanities, but useful drugs and materials wherewith to temper and compose effective and strong medicines, which man's life cannot want. The rest, as children and childish men who have not the art to qualify and prepare these working minerals, may well be exhorted to forbear, but hindered forcibly they cannot be by all the licensing that sainted inquisition could ever yet contrive. Which is what I promise to deliver next, that this order of licensing conduces nothing to the end for which it was framed, and hath almost prevented me by being clear already, while thus much hath been explaining. See the ingenuity of truth, who, when she gets a free and willing hand, opens herself faster than the pace of method and discourse can overtake her. It was the task which I began with, to show that no nation or well-instituted state, if it valued books at all, did ever use this way of licensing. And it might be answered that this is a piece of prudence lately discovered, to which I returned that as it was a thing slight and obvious to think on, so if it had been difficult to find out, there wanted not among them long since who suggested such a course, which they not following leave us a pattern of their judgment that it was not the not knowing, but the not approving which was the cause of their not using it. If we think to regulate printing, thereby to rectify manners, we must regulate all recreations and pastimes, all that is delightful to man. No music must be heard, no song be said or sung, but what is grave and doric. There must be licensing dancers, and no gesture, motion, or deportment be taught our youth, but what by their allowance shall be thought honest, for such Plato was provided of. It will ask more than the work of twenty licensers to examine all the lutes, the violins, and the guitars in every house. They must not be suffered to prattle as they do, but must be licensed what they may say. And who shall silence all the airs and madrigals that whisper softness in chambers? The windows also and the balconies must be thought on. There are shrewd books with dangerous frontispieces set to sale. Who shall prohibit them? Shall twenty licensers? The villages also must have their visitors to inquire what lectures the bagpipe and the rebeck reads, even to the ballantry and the gamut of every municipal fiddler, for these are the countryman's Arcadias and his Montemayors. Next, what more national corruption for which England hears ill abroad than household gluttony? Who shall be the rectors of our daily rioting, and what shall be done to inhibit the multitudes that frequent those houses where drunkenness is sold and harbored? Our garments also should be referred to the licensing of some more sober workmasters to see them cut into a less wanton garb. Who shall regulate all the mixed conversation of our youth, male and female together, as is the fashion of this country? Who shall still appoint what shall be discoursed, what presumed, and no further? Lastly, who shall forbid and separate all idle resort, all evil company? These things will be and must be, but how they shall be least hurtful, how least enticing, herein consists the grave and governing wisdom of a state. If every action which is good or evil in man at ripe years were to be under pittance and prescription and compulsion, what were virtue but a name, what praise could then be due to well-doing, what gramercy to be sober, just, or continent? Many there be that complain at divine providence for suffering Adam to transgress. Foolish tongues. When God gave him reason, he gave him freedom to choose, for reason is but choosing. He had been else a mere artificial Adam, such an Adam as he is in the motions. We ourselves esteem not of that obedience or love or gift which is of force, 
God therefore left him free, set before him a provoking object ever almost in his eyes. Herein consisted his merit, herein the right of his reward, the praise of his abstinence. Wherefore did he create passions within us, pleasures round about us, but that these rightly tempered are the very ingredients of virtue? They are not skilful considerers of human things who imagine to remove sin by removing the matter of sin. For besides that it is a huge heap increasing under the very act of diminishing, though some part of it may for a time be withdrawn from some persons, it cannot from all in such a universal thing as books are. And when this is done, yet the sin remains entire. Though ye take from a covetous man all his treasure, he has yet one jewel left. You cannot bereave him of his covetousness. Banish all objects of lust, shut up all youth into the severest discipline that can be exercised in any hermitage. Ye cannot make them chaste. That came not thither so. So great care and wisdom is required to the right managing of this point. Suppose we could expel sin by this means. Look how much we thus expel of sin. So much we expel of virtue. For the matter of them both is the same. Remove that, and ye remove them both alike. This justifies the high providence of God, who, though he commands us temperance, justice, continence, yet pours out before us even to a profuseness all desirable things, and gives us minds that can wander beyond all limit, and satiety. Yet though ye should condescend to this, which God forbid, the order still would be but fruitless and defective to that end whereto ye met it. If to prevent sex and schisms, who is so unread, or so uncatchetized in story, that hath not heard of many sects refusing books as a hindrance, and preserving their doctrine unmixed for many ages only by unwritten traditions? The Christian faith, for that was once a schism, is not unknown to have spread all over Asia ere any gospel or epistle was seen in writing. If the amendment of manners be aimed at, look into Italy and Spain, whether those places be one scruple the better, the honester, the wiser, the chaster, since all the inquisitional rigor that hath been executed upon books. End of section 10. Recording by Philip Gould.